Good morning, everyone. If this is hey, John, take this down just a little bit. I'm like feedback edge. If this is your first time visiting with us, this is awesome because there's chili today, and we are starting into a new book of the Bible. We are going through the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're going to be doing this for the next couple weeks. And uh, today, since it's the first time, uh, we're going to go through some of the some of the intro, like the understanding of the book as a whole, and then we'll start to break it down a little bit more. And there's going to be a decent amount of reading. So, John, I'm going to use mic one. I'm going to give this to Dalton. When it's time, I'll tell you. So... But you need your own mic for this one, because there's a... So, when it's time. Um, I'm going to have Dalton read some stuff. So, uh, let me pray really quick, and then we'll get right into it. So, Father, I pray that you bless this study of your word. Help us to hear from you what it is that you would have us um, hear. I pray that you would speak to, our li- speak to our hearts and change our lives in your precious name. And, God, I pray that you would be exalted in this place, and your word would be honored in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. So, it's funny. I've been excited about this for a while, and it's been funny because everybody, some people have never read this book before. They go take a look, and they're like, whoa, okay, a little bit of a downer there, you know? And some of you know the book, and you're like, why are you excited about this? Well, I, I'm going to get into it, and I hope that it has the effect that I want. Because um, I think, hidden in this book that's thousands of years old, is one of the main maybe like antidotes to the current amounts like a lot of the socially social problems we find you know amplified in our culture and it should be both encouraging that wow this book from several thousand years ago addresses this so acutely but also it's like this is nothing new but also um it's addressable you know what I mean? Like, you, can, you, you don't have to live the way we've been living and that kind of thing. And so let me give you just a little bit of background so you understand what we're looking at, uh, especially if you've never heard of this book before. Um, Ecclesiastes is in a branch of, like, there's, like, you gather some of the books in the Old Testament and the New Testament together. Like, you know, like there's a bunch of prophetic books. Those are called the prophets and then, like, the writings and, like, this, the history part of the Bible. And this one would come in the wisdom literature where you find a whole lot of uh, the books that talk about like wise teaching and that sort of thing. And it contains, it's a book, it contains a bunch of poetry and also wise teachings. And the author of this book is traditionally viewed as King Solomon, who's David's son. And if you remember, we went through, David was the king of Israel and he wanted to bring in the, and he took over after Saul, kind of screwed things up. And then David became the king. And then Solomon is David's son, who became the king next. And, it, and um, David had brought the ark back to Israel, but he, God was like, I'm going to have your son build the temple, and Solomon did that. And there's an interesting story in Second Chronicles 1, you can see Solomon is kind of starting off, and he has this, he goes to the, t- the tabernacle and does these sacrifices for God, and um, I'll just read this to you in verse 6 of Second Chronicles 1. Solomon went up to the bronze altar before the Lord in the tent of meeting, that's where the, that's where the um, Ark of the Covenant was, and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. That's a lot. Um, that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask for whatever you want me to give you, okay? And then he says a bunch of things. And in verse 10, this is where he kind of answers. Solomon says back, give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours. And verse 11, God said to Solomon, since this is your heart and desire and you have not asked for wealth and possessions or honor, nor, nor for the death of your enemies, which is intense, since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people 
over whom I have made you king. Therefore, wisdom and knowledge will be given to you. This is God saying this now. And I will also give you wealth, possessions, and honor, such as no king who, has, who was before you ever had and none after you will ever have. So Solomon asks God for wisdom, and God gives him wisdom. And then throughout his life, Solomon writes several books of wisdom. And there's a kind of another rabbinic tradition where um, of these three you see uh, Song of Solomon is one of his, the book attributed to him. And that, that's like, so the tradition is this, that as a young man who's now been given wisdom by God, he writes the Song of Solomon. You know, this is kind of like a young man's perspective. And then as like, what I say, midlife man, which is me now, he writes the book of Proverbs, which is a whole bunch of sayings about how to live and truths about God and this kind of thing. And then tradition is that this is the old man going, hmm, here's what's really up, guys. You know, and it's not against any of those other ones. It's just a different perspective. And I thought about it like, you know, if you and I were like, we're going to go on this, on this mountain hike. If you like hiking, if you don't like hiking, you have to think of something else. But if you were like, let's go hiking, and there's this big mountain, and there's like the young guy where you're like, I'm really excited, and I got all my new stuff, and da-da-da-da-da. And then when you get like, you're kind of the guy that's like, I got to the top now or something, and you're like, okay, that was harder than I thought it was going to be, and all these other things. And then there's the guy who comes all the way back, and he's like, okay, if I had this to do again, here's some thoughts, you know. And and so that's the tradition there. So there's this, uh, you need to see that. We're kind of starting at the back end. Now, you have a Bible so you can read the other ones too. So, and if you read Song of Solomon, you may be surprised if you never read that. He was writing as an old man to the younger person. Um, and kind of the, 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 this is what's interesting about this book, is it's pretty understandable, you know? I'll get into that in a second. The uh, kind of a core overarching theme would be a guy, an old man teaching a young person they can only find meaning in God alone and not in earthly possessions or pleasures. That's kind of the Cliff Notes version of the whole thing. Um, and it starts with this idea of meaninglessness. The first phrase in the whole book is everything is meaningless, which is like, whoa, you know. Um, really, that word meaningless is a Hebrew word, havel, and it means like vapor or smoke. It's like everything is like smoke, you know. And meaningless is a good way to translate that, but there's also like other things. And it kind of reminded me, like I just mentioned of the book of James. You might have remembered this when we went through the book of James. In James 4, 14, he says, why do you not, why do you, why, okay, try again. Why, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. This is God, you know, this is what he's saying. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So there's this idea that our human life in and of itself, in and of itself, is so utterly meaningless. It appears for a little while. It goes, well, there's nothing really to grab hold of there. You know, and these are themes that you're going to start seeing echoed through the whole Bible. He also uses a phrase a lot called chasing after the wind, which is supposed to mean like you can't do that. You know, you're kind of chasing after nothing. But then he goes through a lot of details in the book. He's like, let me give you some examples. And that's mostly what the book's about. And uh, like I said, it's pretty easy to understand this book in the sense of like, it's kind of like when you read in the, the, um, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. Like, I wonder what that means. It's like pretty straightforward, really, you know. Or I had this one. There's another one from James since we were there. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. You're like, what does that mean? Well, to explain it, I would literally just read it again. You see what I'm saying? But like that, how deep it means that kind of comes down to 
us. Meaning there's going to be parts of this book as we go through it that really stick to you right now in your life right now. And that's something God is saying to you. And you need to take a minute and go back. Because like in this James verse, which is not in the book we're looking at at all, you can, sit, you can let it work on you, those who consider themselves religious. You know, this kind of thing. Keep a tight rein on their tongues. Does that mean all the time? Does that, is that you know, you, you see what I'm saying? This is the kind of work you have to do with it. And I can't do all the Ecclesiastes work here for everyone. You're going to have to do it yourself as well. But I'll give you a head start, okay, um, when we get into some things. Skipping some junk here. But I would suggest reading, because we're going to try to cover, just because of time, four chapters a, mo- a week, which is insane. So try to read them in between as well. Um, I put down this. There's, you're going to see, uh, like I've already shown you, that Ecclesiastes echoes things that are throughout the whole Bible. I mean, the Bible is God's word. That's, it doesn't really matter who, what human was involved in writing it. It's God writing it through people. And there's a continuity to everything. And so like when he's talking about a vapor here, and, he, and, then, Paul, and then all those years later, James writes about a vapor then, you know, it's the same vapor, it's the same God's word commentary on our lives. And I also found this, because he, he talks about, like, the summary we gave about finding your purpose in God and not in all these things. This is another potential summary. If you're like, I want to write down, like, okay, if I want to understand this whole book, this is a suggestion from me of a good place to find it. In 1 John 2, 15 through 17, you see this. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves this, the world, the love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life come not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And like I said, some people look at this book as kind of a downer. Like, they're like, man, it, it just... So here's, here's why I was excited about it. This is why I want to address the kind of a downer concept. I was in a moment, this was several years ago, I was struggling with some things in life, like you do, you know, and I was driving somewhere and was worried about stuff that I don't even know what it was, and it seemed like a really big deal, and for some reason, one of the phrases from this book came into my head, and I was like, that's in Ecclesiastes, and I was like, well, I got a long way to drive, so I'll just play it, so I went on my app, like you have, and I hit play, and then I listened to the whole thing, and I felt, oh my gosh, these are all the things I'm thinking about, and none of it matters. And as a person who struggles with OCD and stuff, that's really great news because I'm often worried about things that don't matter. I don't know about you guys, but I'll speak for myself. I worry a lot or find myself thinking a lot about things that don't matter at all. But they sure feel like they do when I'm sitting there in the moment. And I could actually make a pretty good case why it's a big deal. And it's like, yeah, but it kind of isn't. And that argument that, yeah, that it kind of isn't is in the Bible, which is probably right. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? And I found it to be incredibly freeing because um, I didn't fight with it. I was desperate. I was like, I need help. And then I was listening to this list of meaningless things that I had been saying were very meaningful, and it was very freeing to me. I realized that this the struggle I was having wasn't new. I realized these things didn't have power over me like I thought they did. You understand what I mean by that? And I realized God was in control and I realized the social media world that is full of lies, or at least had, had emphasized lies in my life, like making me more prone to believe them, was a liar. And I didn't have to listen to it. And it was like instantaneous, just by reading the Bible. It was like a godly antidote. That's what I said, you know. So here's my paraphrase of the whole, the whole book. All this stuff they're telling you is important isn't. I don't know if that sounds freeing to some people. 
So many things you sit there worrying about don't really matter. So it wasn't like, oh, I got to sort all this out. And you're like, you really don't even have to. You could just kind of throw it all away. That doesn't mean that our concerns are all irrelevant. It just means there was, you, you see what I'm saying? It's like, a, keep them in perspective here, you know? And I was letting them control me or my thoughts. And ultimately it's this, because he's not going into this book mostly talking about bad things. He actually mostly talks about good things. But he just says they're not ultimate. Remember we talked about idolatry? Idolatry isn't mostly bad things. It's making good things the ultimate thing. Like saying like money is fine. But worshiping money, saying I get my identity from money. I understand myself by how much money I have. And I understand other people by how much or little money they have. And I value people that way. And this is where power comes from and all these like That's idolatry and that's bad. But like having money to help people and provide for your family is good. You see what I'm saying? So it's the worship of these things that's bad, not the things themselves. It's a, little more, it's a little more difficult than just going, can you give me the list of bad stuff? It's like, well, there's a lot of stuff that can be good or bad. You know, like if I have a hammer and I'm hammering in nails to build like our youth building, you go, that's good. If I have a hammer and I'm going around killing people with it, that's bad. You go, I guess we should get rid of hammers. It's like, well, some of us need them to hammer nails in. You see what I'm saying? It's more like that sort of thing, kind of. That's actually not that great, but... What he's talking about is finding identity or deep meaning. That's a term I was like, this is deep meaning. <laughs> who are you? Remember when we talked about in Exodus, you know who you are because you know whose you are? Who are you? Are you finding your identity from these things? Because that's what you need the antidote for. Not just to not have them. But I'm gonna, here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend some time just reading this because it doesn't require a whole lot of commentary. And that's why I'm going to ask Dalton to re read the first chapter because it sets up the the whole framework, then we'll say a few things and talk about some of the other chapters. But I wanted you to hear the whole first chapter in its context. So on mic one, I'm going to have Dalton read that. Ecclesiastes chapter one. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear is full, full of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was, all, it was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Wisdom is meaningless. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun, 
All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, Look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned this, too, is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. And now moving to Matthew. Yeah, we'll say that at the end. Yeah, yeah. That's going to be the closing part. So I, th I wanted you to hear the whole chunk so that you understand how this is written. This is poetic stuff, you know. And you can start to see in this first chapter that we just read, when he's saying everything is meaningless, he's meaning everything is meaningless if you seek to find your meaning in it. I mean, if you read Genesis 1... God's creating the sun, and he says it's good. So when he's saying everything is meaningless, he's not saying, like, well, that sun God made it doesn't even, you know, it's not saying that it's bad. He's just saying that he's using these natural examples to say, like, these things, time just goes on. You know, the rivers flow, and they flow to the ocean, and they rain, and they flow again, and the sun rises, and it's going to rise again tomorrow, and there's a certain inevitability to everything that he's grappling with poetically. And he starts to see there's nothing new. Like a lot of things we feel for the first time. And since we feel it for the first time, sometimes we're like, does anybody else know about this? The answer is yes, they do know about it and might have written a lot about it. And then he starts to reflect on, even if you do a whole lot of great stuff, you still die and no one remembers you. And it's funny, this being, it's a guy who's, we're talking about his book thousands of years later, you know, and he would probably go, yeah, but I still meant what I said. Like, in earthly terms, it just doesn't matter. You know, like, you do all this stuff, and then you die. The same as anybody else that lives and dies. And so, like, if you're trying to st say before God, I'm going to earn these things, like, earn God's love, he's like, well, it's going to be meaningless, whatever you're done with it. And you need to just start to feel this relief, I hope, that even if you do it all right, it'll come to nothing because you die just like everybody else. So if you're trying to fix it yourself, you can't. And if you're trying to heal it yourself, you can't. And if you're trying to, you know, all these kinds of things, he's like, but he can. And we'll get to that. Chapter 2, he keeps going. He's like, well, then maybe I'll, since I realize, like, none of this stuff really means a whole lot, I'll try to just, maybe things that feel good, right? So I'll just do pleasures. And I'll just paraphrase this. You know, and he says, I'll, I'll, I'll take everything. Like, anything I want. He's rich. He's famous. He has lots of stuff. And you can look at the stuff he has. It's like everything. And, he, he, you know, and he talks about all pleasures, so fill in the blank there. And, uh, it, but then he realized, like, once you get it all, it doesn't mean anything. And I was thinking this because, remember, the eye is never full, he said. Like, you always got more stuff you can see that you want, you know. Or remember I just read in First John, the lust of the eyes and all that kind of stuff, lust of the flesh. And, you know, you, you always find something else you need. This is how advertising works. The guys got smart about 120 years ago. Advertising, when it started, was... Let me letting people know, like, hey, 
you know, I make buttons for shirts. If you need some, I have some for sale. You know, and then when the Industrial Revolution happened, they could make way more buttons than shirts needed. So they're like, we have to figure out a way that people need more buttons. And so they invented what we call advertising now, where they're like, you really need this. You know, and we're so used to it, we don't even think that's a thing that didn't exist before. Well, it didn't. Like, this whole, we've been being manipulated since our grandparents, you know, before them. And so, like, you know, like, this happens to me naturally, just like it happens to you. You know, you find yourself stumbling along, and then somebody lets you know that something like a Jaws pinball machine exists. And then Anna and I, that was the cue for my, okay. <laughs> something like a Jaws pinball machine exists, and Anna's favorite, where's Anna? Is she helping mom? Oh. She would have been so happy. Anyway, you find out there's such a thing as a Jaws pinball machine, and you're like, I, I probably need to own that, right? There she is. She's cheering from the other building. So you, uh, <laughs> suddenly the I hadn't had its fill. I didn't even know five minutes ago that existed. Now I got to have it, right? You know? And then now I got to add that to the fact that I already knew there was an Indiana Jones pinball machine, and now I got to have two, you know, and... Um, but then you do realize that obviously if we, if we saved all, these are actually shockingly expensive. I don't know if, I looked that up when I was, when I was like getting the photo. I was like, whoa, my car's not worth, anyway. But the, uh, but let's just say somehow I, we go home and there's a crate and we have both of these things. They'd be fun for like, you know, whatever. And then be like, can you turn that off? That's like really loud. You know what I mean? It's like, it doesn't work. You know, it's fun for, but then these advertisers are like, well, there's something else you need. You know, I'm sure there's another pinball machine we could add up there, but you know, you get the point. Verse, the, chapter 2, verse 15, he said this. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. So now he's moving into, he moves from pleasure to wisdom. Like pleasure doesn't do anything. There's always something else. We all know this one. But then he's like, well, wisdom, that's my, my whole deal. Like I asked God for wisdom. God gave me wisdom. I'll be wise. And then he's like, well, I'll live the wisest life that there was. And I still die just like the fool beside me. For the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have already come we bo when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise must die too. And then he's like, well, okay, maybe I'll just achieve a lot. I could build a whole lot. Like build the cities, you know, those kind of things. This is where I called, I thought of like the hustle bro kind of thing. Like, you know, you see these guys on YouTube or whatever. Bro, here's how you can lie, you know, uh, you know whatever. Y'all know what I'm talking about. This is that whole thing. And then he's like, yeah, I tried that. And it didn't, it didn't work. And in verse 24, he says this, a person can do nothing better than, oh, yeah, okay, sorry. He just says it doesn't work. Like, you could accomplish everything. You could build every monument you got. And then, like, the Egyptians were pretty good at this. Like, I would say, like, you know, we're still like, wow, these guys made these pyramids, and they're still, you know, like, they're the best. But it's like, they're still dead. You know, we go to a, we go to a museum to see these, you know, pieces of art and all like this, but there's, there's a dead guy there, you know what I mean? Like, he's still dead. That's his whole point. Like, if you're going to try to find purpose in this, you're dead just like the other guys, you know, it ain't going to work, you know? And when you're young, when you're about to go on the mountain trip and you got the new boots or something, you're like, well, I mean, I'm not too worried about that. We got a mountain to climb or whatever. And when he's coming back, he's like, he's like, I'm going to tell you though, after all of that, you're still going to die. You're going to look like me, you know what I mean? Or, you know, you get the idea. So at the end, he, say, he comes to some conclusions um, it, within these chapters. He's like, meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. But in verse 24, he says this. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. He didn't say a toilless life, did he? Find satisfaction in it. 
A person can do this is a this is big stuff. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? You have to hear in this. Now this is poetic book kind of stuff. So the sciencey minded people, you might have to stretch a little, okay? The artsy farts people are like, Yeah, I got you. You know, like what he's saying is your life the crap life that you're trying to get out of, he's like, that's actually, God's there with you. Did you know that? That's what he's saying. He's like, did you know that? He's like, if you could find God within that, you don't have to get out of it, you know? You don't have to escape it. He's there. Let me read chapter 3, or some, some highlights. And this is my famous Bible warning. This is a Bible nerd moment. That This is a... You know, some of you, you're reading the Bible for the first time. You might be hearing things that you've like, well, I've heard that before. And it's because it's in the Bible. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> they're quoting the Bible. And so you'll run into some of that as we go through this, all right? These, we could, you, you might need to sit and unpack one of these or all of these. These are deep things. I'll make passing comments just out of the sake of time. We've got chili to eat, okay? There is a time for everything, okay? There is a time for everything. And a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. This is what life looks like. It's a time to plant and a time to uproot. You need to know what time it is. In our culture, so black and white, they were like, is it an, are we uproot people or plant people? And we're like, well, there's time and a place for both. This is what I'm trying to say. That's wisdom. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. That's what John Grisham did not come up with that title for that book. This is where he got it from. Okay? It's a time to kill and a time to heal. There's a time to tear down and a time to build. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. We need to, we need to not lose our sense of humor, guys. That's one of the things I'm concerned about in this current society. Like, That's not funny. Like, Actually, it is. And humor is important. There's a time to laugh. It's in the Bible. <laughs> it's not all the time, but there is a time. A time to mourn and a time to dance. That's an interesting pairing, isn't it? You might need to think about that. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace. And there's time to refrain from embracing. There's a time to search and a time to give up. Some of you obsessive people can relate to that. The time to give, a time to keep, and a time to throw away. A time to mend. A time to tear, and a time to mend. A time to be silent, hello, and a time to speak. That's that thing I was talking about earlier on social media. The bullies. There's times to be silent. You don't always have to, you know, reshare their junk or whatever. A time to love and a time to hate. And here's one. A time for war and a time for peace. There's this concept. I was talking with Marianne yesterday, this situation in Israel. You know, there's this false sense of peace that people wanted. Like, let's just disregard these injustices and just pretend like that never happened or something. You know, there's not, that's not real peace. There's this kind of we can pretend like 
things didn't happen, you know, that there aren't still hostages being held. You know what I mean? You have to take, you have to deal with it. There's times when, and I'm saying this as a pastoral person, I struggle with this because a lot of the pastors I end up respecting the most call themselves pacifists. And I struggle with it personally. I'm telling you this as a 40, I'm not, I'm not at the Ecclesiastes level yet. I'm at the midlife guy. I go, I don't know. There's times to me where it seems like nothing is worse. So it helps me that there's a verse like this. There's at least intention that there's a time for war. And then verse 9, what do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has made everything beautiful in its time. These are deep words here. And now here's this was, he also, he has also set eternity in the human heart. You know, when we talk about that God-sized whole, every person that's born that's alive, all of them, all of us, all however many billion people that have ever existed, have this weird sense there's something wrong that needs to be fixed. That's that eternity in their heart. This is, they're like, I know there's good things, I see bad things, but I don't feel like this is how things are supposed to be. And the answer is, they're not. That's what the whole Bible's about. That's what Jesus came to make right. That eternity in our heart, because we know it's there, and everybody knows it's there, not just you and me. Everybody knows it's there. And yet, no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. If you get around people that talk like they always understand everything God's doing, be really careful. They might be really good people, and they just got taught a bad way to talk, but just be really careful, especially young guys. If you all end up going to college at some ministry or something, and they're like, let me, I can always explain to you everything God's doing. No one would literally say that, but you have to hear that. That's dangerous, because then they start to justify whatever they want, because God says it's fine, and it's not what, you know what I mean? So be careful with that. Because no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. In some way, we're always going to be surprised. And that's good. And it might be funny. This is a time to laugh. Okay. Verse 12. For I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they, while they live. This is the same as that other piece from chapter 2. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken away from it. God do, does it so that people will fear him. And then these thoughts. Whatever has already been and what will, what will be has been forever. God will call the past to account. Nobody gets away with anything. So much anxiety comes into our hearts. It's like people are going to get away with it. Like, nobody gets away ever with anything ever. From all of human history and from all of human future till Jesus returns, no one gets away with anything. And that's actually good news, okay? And terrifying, but good news. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. And in the place of justice, wickedness was there. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity to come a time to judge every deed. So here's the thing. In our world, there's all this black and white stuff. These people are good. These people are bad. You better be with the good people if you want to be on the right side of history or something like that. And depending on who you're listening to, who knows who those people are? 
You know, and you're like, I don't even know anything about what the situation you're talking about is, but now I have to, like, make some sort of existential, like, okay, I guess I'm for the good people, right? You know? Here's the thing. The best people, the best group, if that's even a right, that's not a right way to think, but even if you're in a situation that is pretty black and white, you know, the best people, the good people, there's, in, there's injustice there. And in some of the worst people, there's good things going on. That's how the world actually is. And so what he says is, I get it. I'm not the judge. God is. And I don't have to worry about me judging everything. God's going to do it. God is doing it. God will do it whether I want him to or not. And it takes a lot of that pressure off because you're not going to be able to know enough to have an educated opinion on every world event that ever happens. Can you hear me? I'm going to keep reading. I also said to myself, as for humans, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. It's a little strange, but bear with me here. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust they all return. That's another, have you ever heard this? Oh, dust to dust. This is where this is from. Now, here's, this is an interesting thing. If you're ever wondering, like, you're like, if you ask your mom, you say, like, did our pet that died go to heaven or something like that? This is the only verse that I know of in the entire Bible that even addresses the subject, okay? So this is the answer, okay? As far as I know, Kevin might know better, or Brandon, but... Who knows if the human spirit rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth? Did you hear the answer in that? We don't know. <laughs> but I suspect based on the stuff we were reading earlier, God's pretty, pretty sneaky. So I might vote, but it's just a vote. So, so I saw that there's nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work. Have you picked up a theme here? Enjoy their work because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? I was talking to Carrie about this, that one of our dogs, Winston, this is why I bring this up in this section, he's just happy to be there. All the time. And then he broke his toe, and he was just fine. He's like, well, I guess I have a broken toe now, you know? And I was like, doesn't that bother you? He's like, well, sure, but... This not, that wasn't a real conversation we had, but <laughs> we were like, buddy, are you okay? And he's like, I'll just hold it up for a little while. It'll be fine, you know. And uh, I told Carrie, he's like, he's a reminder to me on a daily basis of this, is, I think, is closer to the Lord than I am. I mean, I'm always, he's, he's just good, you know. And uh, Winston will be in heaven, right? Is that what we were saying? Yeah, okay. Don't know about the other ones. I'm just kidding. But the... Uh, I'm just kidding. I love all my dogs. The, uh... <laughs> all right, let's move. Let's... So in chapter four, he kind of gives a recap of a lot of the stuff that he's already referred to. And I, he talks about that toil and the, the hustle bro culture kind of thing. And he said, you know, it's better to have like one handful and be at peace than have two handfuls and be full of anxiety all the time. And I was kind of like, yeah, that's obvious, I guess. But like, you know, for real, like it's better to have one car 
and be at peace than to like suffer and be full of keeping up with it just to have two cars or just to be known for like oh yeah my kid went to this school or just you know the news flash to all this is nobody cares I'll tell you I don't care you know I can speak for myself. Like, I don't care what school you go to or what school you don't go to, or I'm not going to think any more or less of you, you know? How much money you have? Like, you could lose it all tomorrow. Does that lose part of yourself? No. That's not who God made, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to think of you that way. Now, we can choose to, as Christian people, I don't think any of us should think that way. But we have permission here, at least, don't do that. Or let's try not to. Maybe make it a goal. I want to close this way. We're going to do communion. We always do communion on our Super Second Sundays. And I wanted to show this photo because uh, we're a church family. I said this last week. We're a family. And you are in, whoa, oh, we're ahead of the game now. All right. Sorry. I know. I know. We'll get in the rhythm. We'll get in the rhythm. The, uh, some of the youth girls went to Ann's house and made the bread for communion that we're going to have today. And I wanted you to know that because that's awesome. And I want... To, Four youth guys to come up here to help serve the communion. So the guys are going to serve it, and uh, the girls made it, and that's awesome. Yeah, why don't you come on up? And then, Dalton, why don't you come? Because I wanted to, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and I'm going to hand them the communion stuff, and, uh, or they're going to take it. It's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Let me break it first. There's like some stuff here. So really quick, and then I'll give it to you. Jesus took the bread and broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you, and this is my, the cup he took, and he blessed it. He said, this is my blood given for you, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And we take this, and we eat it as part of being in the family of God, and all, everyone's invited. But the fact that, G, that Jesus chose bread, and he chose wine, and he didn't just pick up some berries or even honey, maybe, which is something bees make. He took things people have to make to do it, you hear echoes, again, stretch sciencey people, arty people are with me. You hear echoes of what we were just reading. The toil, this doesn't just exist, you know. God wants us to be involved in the sharing of his body and blood to the world, even in the preparing of it, the making of it, because we don't just have bread. It's not like, um, you get the idea. He didn't take grapes. But I also wanted you to hear the echoes of these sentiments when Jesus was standing before the people at the Mount of Beatitudes, the crowds gathering around him, and they, he starts to say, okay, y'all want to know what things are like? And he just starts to tell them. And I'm going to have Dalton read this. This is a chunk of what is called the Beatitudes. You've heard it before, blessed are the poor in spirit, and all that kind of stuff. This is Jesus talking now. But I'm going to have him read it twice. The first is in the NIV translation, which is, a normal translation is one I use a lot. And then the second one is in a kind of paraphrased translation called The Message, which was done by Eugene Peterson. And it emphasizes different things. Because when we don't read these scriptures in their original languages, they have to be interpreted by somebody. Brandon talked a lot about that a couple of weeks ago. And so depending on how that's done or when that's done, hundreds of years ago, currently, you know, it can emphasize different things. And it's important. And in Asaf and I talk about this because sometimes he'll remember a verse from in Brazil, in, in Portuguese, from his Brazil, you know, when he's like, I grew up in church, we would say this in Brazil. And I'd be like, and Kevin and I'd be like, I don't really know what you're talking about. And then after talking, we're like, oh, it's this. But that word is so much better, you know. And so 
language is interesting that way. And so I'm going to pray for this and hand it to you guys. And then I'm going to have Dalton read these two versions of the Beatitudes. And then as he finishes, he'll say amen or something. And then that's when we'll start communion. And I'm going to also pray for the chili cook-off. We're going to just go straight into that. This is the closing here. If you need to spend some time processing some of this stuff, do it. We have our prayer team. They'll be in the back corner. Uh, otherwise, I'm going to bless the food and everything. So, Lord, we bless these elements. We bless this bread and this um, grape juice in this context, Lord. I just pray that you would bless it all to be for us your body and blood in the same way that you did on the night before you were crucified and when you gave yourself for us, Lord. And we don't take that lightly. We take it seriously. I pray that you bless this time that we gather here, that we have fun, that, we would, that you would bless the food that we're going to eat, the chili that we take, and that we eat it and we have fun, and that some, you know, it's just an, a good time. And also, Lord, I pray you bless the fellowship here, that we would get to know each other. And bless this time, Lord. Help us to not leave burdened, especially with the things we talked about today. Set us free. Let us be free. And fill this place with your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Two more instructions. Um, if you have kids, go get, when you're done, um, go pick up your kids before they get chilly and everything, just so we don't have, you know, a mess. We'll, we can set up some tables across the hallway um, because it's cold. <laughs> and also our youth is, for donations, we have a whole bunch of desserts. It's kind of the same as normal, but we're asking if you give it a little donation to help them with their youth trip they're going to be taking in a, in a month or so. And so that's a special thing. It's a little different than normal. Bree's cheering in the back. So Dalton, why don't you go ahead and read? Oh, also, yes, we have gluten-free Jesus. If you if you're so neat, so. <laughs> All right, you, you maybe you should read. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek." For they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now from the message. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is what he said. You are blessed when you are at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You are blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You are blessed when you are content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. Blessed, you're blessed 
when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you go get your inside world, your mind and heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. In Yeshua's name, amen.